This is episode 19 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. I usually start this show with some kind of long blab about personal stuff that you probably don't care about. Usually it's to fill time, but today I'm not going to. There's plenty of stories to cover. You should see the list I haven't written up. So let's go straight to the news. From the Y2K plus N department, Microsoft is currently experiencing a bug of its own making reminiscent of the Y2K bug from 22 years ago. Dubbed Y2K22 by somebody, I don't know, someone inside the company. This one also deals with a date field overflow. Microsoft Exchange's malware scanning engine generates numbered update IDs as a six-digit date YYMMDD, followed by a four-digit incremental ID. For example, today would be 220118. So an update today might be a 10-digit number 2,201,180,001. The problem occurs because some genius decided to take that number and cram it into a signed 32-bit integer, which tops out, if you recall, at 2,147,483,648. Any 10-digit ID starting with 2-2 will cause an integer overflow and result in a negative number. The issue started affecting hosted and on-prem exchange servers at the beginning of the year and was not fixed by last week's Reboot Tuesday. The company has released a PowerShell script with a workaround to reset the malware engine's cache, but otherwise, your best solution is don't use Exchange. From the most sincere form of flattery department, NFTs, those digital tokens that use the Ethereum blockchain to permanently and forever establish the canonical ownership of a URL, continue to enjoy the kind of viral popularity that online marketing agencies can promise but only dream of. And whenever there's irrational hype, there's people willing to take advantage of suckers for a quick buck. Eurogamer is reporting that a user named StakeTheWeb appears to be swiping profile photos and likenesses from several gaming YouTubers' channels, turning them into NFTs to be sold on the OpenSea NFT auction site. Whining ensued as the wannabe celebrities who put their images out publicly are suddenly shocked that their images are out in public. So far, it looks like the only blowback is complaining on Twitter, but if this issue came to legal action, there is one important legal difference. Copyrights in a photo lies with the person who took the photo and not the subject of the photo. Celebrities who get stalked by paparazzi have only defamation law to protect them from these invasions of their privacy. By swiping already taken digital images, though, the YouTubers can use the much stronger copyright laws. OpenSea released a statement saying it is against their policy to sell NFTs using plagiarized content, I should hope so, and that they ban or delist users who they catch doing it. Of course, I'm sure that didn't prevent them from profiting off of the sales. From the California Beeman Department. Sunnyvale, California has a crow problem. Approximately a thousand crows, according to city estimates, have taken up residence in the city, 
and are making a mess of things. The streets are basically riddled with crow poo, says Mayor Larry Klein. The city has tried everything to get the birds to find a new spot, but all success has been short-lived. The city's current plan for dealing with this problem is to chain, charge three city's workers to go out nightly and harass the birds to try to convince them to go elsewhere by blaring sounds into the sky and shining lasers at crows when they find them. My personal experience with crows is that they are smart, mean, and they hold a grudge approximately forever. You don't mess with them and they don't mess with you. Also, crows are scavengers. They arrive in large numbers only if you put out a lot of stuff for them to scavenge. Now, I know nothing about the condition of Sunnyvale's streets other than its proximity to San Francisco, the trash capital of the world, and the other trash heap cities of Central California. I have to assume that if the city were clean, then crows wouldn't have that much to scavenge in large numbers. At the same time, the city is about 23 square miles, and a thousand crows honestly doesn't seem like that many, although I suppose if you're walking through their poop, it might. Well, maybe the city's funds would just be better spent cleaning trash off the street than going out and harassing animals, but what do I know? I'm just a podcaster. But if you really want the crows gone, this is a pretty clear-cut case of nuisance animals. Any normal city at any other point in history would simply find someone with a pellet gun and pay them five bucks per crow's beak they bring in. But this is California, aka New Wokistan, with modern sensibilities that don't allow cruelty to animals. And you can't see it, but I just put cruelty to animals in air quotes. It's a weird category that seems to preclude quickly and humanely killing an animal, but apparently harassing, deafening, and blinding them with lasers is totally cool. From the Your Data on Safari department, Apple's Safari 15 has a bug in its IndexedDB implementation that can cause cross-site data leaks. In English, this means that if you visit a malicious website using Safari, that site can steal data from other sites in other tabs in the browser. IndexedDB is a JavaScript API standard that lets a website store data in your browser up to a certain byte limit, basically an upgraded cookie. A website that wants to use IndexedDB calls the API and gives the name of the database that they want to access. If that name exists for that site, then the data is retrieved. Otherwise, a new empty database is created and returned. The site can then read or write data as needed. Each database created is only supposed to be available to the web domain that created it. The Safari bug is that each time a browser tab requests a database with any particular name, Safari creates an empty database with that same name in every other tab in the same browser session. A malicious site that knows how to look for these databases can then get the names of any database that any tab in your session has created. So. The good news is that the actual data in the database is safe. Only the site-specified name is leaked to other tabs. The bad news is that you can tell a lot by knowing what database names to look for. Google Sites, for example, create an IndexedDB database with your username whenever you log into your account. If you have Safari and want to check what else you might be leaking, check out the webpage safarileaks.com, the proof-of-concept site put up by Fingerprint.js, which is the security group that found and reported the bug. As of Monday, Apple engineers have fixed the bug in the WebKit source, but the issue still persists until those changes are pushed into a product update. Knowing Apple, that should be the first half of this year. From the Avoiding Thought Crime Department, Microsoft has introduced a new woke filter. They call it the Inclusiveness Checker for Microsoft Word's Grammar and Spelling Checker, which checks your document for evidence of, quote, socioeconomic bias. 
According to the write-up at Gizmodo, the new feature goes beyond flagging ethnic slurs and will highlight when you've used words or phrases containing age bias, cultural bias, sexual orientation bias, gender bias, racial bias, as well as gender-specific language. Examples of suggested changes are blacklist and whitelist to disallowed or allowed list, as well as changing gender-specific terms like postman to postal worker, headmaster to principal, Mrs. to Ms., because I guess having a husband implies gender, gender bias, maid to house cleaner, and mankind to humankind. I guess they haven't noticed that the word man is also inhuman, or woman for that matter. Your spell checker will now help you start overcoming your subconscious biases, wrote Microsoft digital strategist John Bull, prompting at least one tech news podcaster to wonder aloud what a digital strategist is and exactly how manipulative and paternalistic a company has to be to employ one. The filter is currently available for Microsoft 365 users, although it is off by default. Users who want to invite the son of Clippy to critique their writing for the telltale warning signs of free speech can opt to check only for ethnic slurs, check only for gender bias, or turn on all microaggressions using a surprisingly granular configuration dialogue. Of course, this is far from the first time Microsoft has grappled with wokeness in its Word product. The first time I recall was while I was working on Windows and had an entire test run prematurely cancelled by an unexpected reboot caused by Windows Update when an important update was pushed through to all Windows machines worldwide. What was so important about this update? Well, it seems that the Wingdings font built into Windows, a precursor to Emoji, had a symbol that had suddenly become unacceptable. See, up until 2005, Wingdings had a swastika as one of its characters. Some social media user noticed this and started the usual social media stink about how could Microsoft Word be promoting Nazism by including a symbol in a font. Reacting to this, and also the problem that the symbol might actually be illegal in some places where freedom of speech doesn't exist and the official government policy has been in a surprising burst of foresight to conceal history from their country's youth so that they could now be going out and repeating exactly the same mistakes that they weren't legally allowed to learn from, the Microsoft higher-ups had the symbol removed from the font and pushed an important update to all Windows machines. Microsoft notes of the inclusiveness checker that... As with all grammar suggestions, the user can completely ignore the purple underline that the filter puts underneath words and that the user is ultimately in control of the final output. But of course, try telling that to an OCD sufferer who knows that one does not simply save a Word doc with unresolved squiggles under words. Suffice it to say, it's a good thing that I wrote my show notes in Notepad++, because this would be a very different podcast if I were writing in Word. From the Software Vulnerability Extensions Department, Intel has deprecated the SGX, or Software Guard Extensions chip, and is removing it in their 12th generation Core 11,000 and 12,000 processors. SGX is one of those black box chips created to solve the problem that users have too much control over the hardware that they purchased. The chip, which creates encrypted regions of memory inaccessible even to the kernel, helps to put control of your computer back where they think it belongs, in the hands of big copyright. The dark side of SGX, at least for Intel, is that as a poorly documented black box, it was also a massive source of high-profile CPU security vulnerabilities that have plagued the company for years. So they're removing it. 
What does this mean? Well, the biggest user-facing effect will be that you no longer be able to play 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray movies on your PC, at least not legitimately. The secure enclave memory provided by the SGX chip is required by the copy protection built into the Blu-ray standard. Cyberlink, creators of the most popular Blu-ray playback software, recommend that people wanting to watch 4K Blu-rays on their PC should stick to the 7000 through 10,000 series Intel CPUs. They also advise against upgrading to Windows 11 lest the, or lest the installer erase the now legacy needed drivers during the update. And for those of you who've moved on to streaming, scratching your heads and asking the obvious question of who uses Blu-ray anymore, the obvious answer is that people still find value in physical items. Maybe for the nostalgia, and maybe because your streaming account can be shut off in an instant if the big corporation that controls it reads something you posted on Twitter and decides you're a dirty criminal. Or worse, a Trump supporter. I can definitely relate to wanting physical media over digital streaming, to hold something in your hand, to know you can store it indefinitely or sell it to someone else and still know that it will work even if you're in a cabin in the woods with no internet. Yes, I understand the desire for keeping all of your media physical, whether it's compact disc, DVD, or hardcover books. Well, maybe not music on vinyl. Those people are just weird. Come into the modern age already. Move to cassette tapes. And from the overpromise and underdeliver department, someone recently accused me of hating electric vehicles. Hate is a strong word and not an emotion I engage in frivolously. This person cited my long list of angry tech news stories on electric cars as evidence that I've let my emotions cloud my judgment on this most holy and delivering of technology. On the contrary, I think electric-powered cars are a fascinating technology that will very likely one day replace gasoline-powered cars as a primary means of personal transportation. Electric cars are efficient, powerful, quiet, and capable of running on any type of energy you can put into the grid. I like the idea of electric vehicles. It's the implementations that could use some work. I don't like that electric vehicles these days are all internet-connected, Internet of Things devices. I don't like that they can be shut off or controlled remotely, and I especially don't like that the software is all closed source proprietary, protected by copyright and DRM, and that I am not even allowed to see what's going on in the software, let alone tweak it. What that tells me is that I'm not buying a car, I'm just renting for a ton of cash up front. I'm paying for a long-term Uber, but I have to drive it myself. And I don't like the cultish hype that has sprung up around this still immature technology. Electric vehicles aren't ready to replace your heavy towing vehicles or long-haul trucks or even cross-country town cars. To the zealots who say otherwise, who deny the evidence from the long list of stories proving that EVs aren't ready, tell me again whose emotions are clouding their judgment. And I especially don't like when government officials, out of some unearned superiority complex that leads them to believe they can somehow plan an economy, the most complex system humanity is capable of creating better than the free market can, when they decide to meddle in the market and try to force deadlines or timetables for technology to be invented, or simply outlaw working technology with the hopes that somehow it will change physics. Technology doesn't work that way, and regular people here at the bottom suffer for every attempt. That I don't like. Well, anyway, if you thought you'd get away with an episode of Angry Tech News without one of these famous electric car rants, I'm happy to disappoint you. In November of 2019, Tesla made huge news and shook up the electric car market with the announcement of the Cybertruck. Elon Musk got on stage and announced that the truck would cost 40 grand, that it would tow 7,500 pounds. Not really all that much if you ask anyone with a horse trailer. 
and that it would be available in 2022. The highlight of that presentation, if you don't recall, was when Musk demonstrated the prototype's supposedly shatterproof armor glass windows by throwing a metal ball at one and promptly shattering it on stage. Well, sometime in the last couple weeks, the Tesla website has was silently changed to remove any reference to 2022 for the Cybertruck. The text of the site, which used to read, you will be able to complete your configuration as production nears in 2022, now simply reads, as production nears, suggesting strongly that the truck will not, in fact, be ready this year. Delays are to be expected in brand new technology and are, in fact, the norm for Silicon Valley products. Tesla has not commented on the change. But this delay fits exactly with Tesla's modus operandi of generating excessive hype, taking in millions of dollars in pre-orders. Current estimates are that one, more than 1 million Cybertrucks have been pre-ordered at a $100 deposit each. So $100 million, they're just sitting there with, yeah. And then suffering delay after delay before shipping the product, if they ever do. The Tesla Model S was originally promised in 2009, but the first one shipped in June of 2012. The Model X shipped nearly 18 months late. Delays of the Model 3 nearly tanked the company, and people who paid extra for full self-driving still have very little to show for their blind faith. Of course, the company will probably weather this latest delay. Tesla is not a car company. They're a Silicon Valley technology company that happens to make cars. Tesla's customers know this, and for the most part are okay with over-promising and under-delivering. As for the actual reason for the delay, we can only speculate. Some say that Musk is unhappy with the aesthetics. That's not surprising. The Cybertruck looks like a digital prop from a 1997 first-person shooter. It has about 12 polygons and a flat, low-res texture applied. I suppose it's possible that they're just having trouble rendering the truck now that their SGX chip is deprecated. I want to thank Sir Spud the Mighty and Jeffrey Montagna for producing this episode of Angry Tech News. Angry Tech News is released on the value for value model. We don't play advertisements and we don't take sponsors and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received some value out of listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button to make a one-time or recurring donut. Do donut? Not, now I want a recurring donut. Okay, a one-time or recurring donation. Send whatever you think this show has been worth to you. $10, $50 or more. That's it for me. My name is Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry.